Welcome back to the We Know Ball podcast. And Gav, I'm so excited for this show, man. This is going to be one of the best ones yet. I can't wait. College football Armageddon this weekend in a positive light because we have top 25 matchups out the ass. Conference storylines, matchups, rest of the season might lie on week four. So let's fucking get after it. Absolutely. Taking you all through the agenda here real quick. Obviously, as Gav mentioned, got a huge weekend in college football. We open with conference play this weekend. We get you all ready for the Pac-12 carnage that will be taking place as well as some other intriguing matches across the league, including FSU at Clemson and Ohio State traveling to Notre Dame. Looking ahead at the NFL, we have a down week, but still plenty to break down, including two more Monday night games. We're going to focus on one, but hopefully they'll be better than this past week. So just getting right into college football here, man. We talked all last pod about how good this slate is going to be, and we're finally here. And before we get into this incredible Pac-12, we got to start with this matchup between Clemson and FSU. As the Florida State Seminoles travel to Death Valley with their eyes set on beating Clemson for the first time in the last seven meetings. Yeah, and everyone expects them to, which is not how we anticipated this matchup winding up as we came into the season uh, Clemson opened up as a two-and-a-half-point favorite a few weeks back, of course, with the way they've been playing football. No longer the favorite. Florida State comes in, two-and-a-half-point favorite in their own right, and everyone's riding off this Clemson team. We wanted Duke. They looked really, really, really bad. Of course, since then, though, they've kind of turned things around and righted the ship a little bit, albeit they haven't played real competition, but – Kate Klubnick's looked better since week one. Watching him in week one against Duke was downright horrible. It looked like he didn't know what he was doing out there. But on the season, eight touchdowns, two picks, and they've really got a true two-headed monster going on in that backfield with Will Shipley and Phil Moffa. Moffa averaging 6.6 yards per carry. Pretty incredible. What do you think with this game, Jasper? Because I think it's going to be a lot closer than people are giving Clemson credit for right now. You know, I'm right there with you. I have in my notes that Clemson has looked a lot better these past two weeks. And this FSU defense, man, you mentioned that two-headed monster. FSU's given up 123 yards a game on the ground. So I, if there was ever a game for Jordan Travis to solidify himself as a Heisman contender, this is it. This game should have been in prime time if it wasn't for that week one loss for Clemson. We got a taste of what Travis could be in that opener against LSU. This FSU team has just not been good, has been good, not great in the ground game, and they haven't really done a great job of stepping up on the running game. This offensive line needs to really step up. I understand there were injuries to this squad last week, but they haven't won in Death Valley since 2013. They need to come out there ready to go. This game is going to be about which offense can take advantage of the opponent's defense. And right now, I like the big playability of Jordan Travis and Trevor Trey Benson a little more than Cade Klubnick in that backfield. But this game is going to be hard fought. It's going to be fast. Expect minimal time of possession and a lot of close plays to come down to it. Yeah, like that analysis a lot. I do think I'm going to take the other side of the analysis, though. And this game kind of reminds me of uh, Texas-Bama a couple weeks back when you and I were going back and forth on will it be the trenches that win it or will it be that passing game. FSU is going to win this game if and only if Jordan Travis comes out and has a great ball game, doesn't turn the ball over, gets the ball to Keon Coleman, gets the ball to Johnny Wilson, exposes this Clemson secondary. But I get Clemson the edge in the ground game and on defense. And for me, that is going to be the difference in this ball game. I think Cade Klubnick takes care of the ball just good enough to give Moffa and Shipley enough time to do damage on the ground. And this Clemson defensive front comes out and really controls the line of scrimmage. And Clemson keeps the winning streak in Death Valley going. I got the Tigers in this game. I like it. I think, yeah, as I said, this game's going to be super close. I can see this going Clemson's way easily. 
I just think I think Jordan Travis is going to come out and really make a statement in this game. I mean, he needs to, especially if he wants to keep his name in the Heisman and keep his team in the playoff hunt and even the ACC hunt. So we'll see how it goes. I expect it to be close. I like your pick at Clemson. We'll break it down for you all on Monday. Jumping over to Eugene, where the Buffs take on Oregon. And if you asked me a week ago, I would have expected this game to be very close. But after what I saw from the Buffs last week, this game will either be a shootout or Bo Nix and the Ducks will hand Dion his first loss in the Power Five. Yeah, it's a 21-point spread for a reason. Of course, no Travis Hunter for Colorado going to play a huge factor on both sides of the football, of course, because he does play both ways. 70.5 points this over-under. Vegas doesn't expect that to be a lick of defense played. I tend to disagree, only because Oregon's defense is slightly better than they get credit for. It's not a great by any stretch of the imagination. However, they do get after the quarterback a little bit. And that has been Colorado's Achilles heel the first couple of weeks. It's been their defense and their offensive line. On offense, only two teams in college football have allowed more sacks than the Colorado Buffaloes. Shador is scrambling for his life back there, play in and play out. He's made it all work himself so far. Like, you can't give enough credit to Shador. And on the defensive side, Colorado has looked really bad. The only reason their defense has held their kept opponents in ballgames is they have 10 takeaways on the season, and they're still giving up, what is it, 35 points a game. So I expect this one to get ugly pretty quick. The one thing Colorado does have going for them, and here is where I do – I'm hesitant to say Oregon's going to blow them out. It's the storyline aspect. Colorado plays better when they are disrespected, and we've seen that in the first three weeks. TCU, disrespected. 21-point dogs, come out, get the W. Nebraska – a, a lackluster football team talent-wise. They weren't getting the respect they deserved. Come out, blow them out of the water. Then comes Colorado State. Game day's there. The Rock is there. All the hype is there. Now who's the team that's disrespected? It's Colorado State. And we saw that turned out. So that's what Colorado has going for them, along with Shadour and the rest of that explosive offense. But I expect Oregon to win this one-handedly. I expect it one-handedly, too. 21 points might be a little much for me. I like 14, but... As you said, man, I mean, no Travis Hunter on this defense really hurts. This Bo Nix passing attack is lethal. Troy Franklin looks like one of the best receivers in college football through three weeks. And this running game is no joke. I mean, we talk about Blucky Irving, but they have an entirely explosive backfield behind him. Colorado doesn't have the playmakers on defense, as you said, to keep up with this Oregon team that's averaging 587 yards per game up to this point, man. I mean, look for Shadur's going to do his thing. Look for the Buffs to try and make this close to open the game, but... If it, in a track meet, Oregon's just going to run away with this thing. I expect him to win by like two or three scores, but I mean, 21 points a lot. But as you said, you're absolutely right. When Dion and his team are back, have their backs against the wall, they come out and they fight. And I think that's the thing that's great about college football that's really different from the NFL is you have a coach like Dion who could just bring it out of his kids, man. Like in the NFL, you got to be logistically and technically sound. In college football, it's all about belief. And I mean, you heard Shadir come out and say, I don't fear names, man. He doesn't fear Oregon. He's going to come out there fearless. He may make a mistake or two, and Oregon will get the better of him. Regardless, this Colorado team isn't going away. And in a year or two, man, I'm telling you, Dion will be one of the best coaches in college football. Not this year. Absolutely not. They're going to get their six wins. They're going to get to a bowl game, as you said. But, man, this Colorado team is scary. I think Dion really has a chance to change college football here. And he, he's acknowledged that, too. He's even said this isn't the year. It's It's still building. It's still coming. So, yeah, we're going to look real stupid on Monday when uh, when Colorado comes out and wins this game, but I just don't see it happening. I mean, 
like you said, if it gets into a track meet, I got Oregon 10 times out of 10 simply because they have the more consistent players on both sides of the football. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Stick with the Pac-12. And we finally get to talk about a team we haven't discussed much this year. And that is UCLA as they travel to Salt Lake City to take on the Utes. Now, Gavin, before we get into all the whole the whole respect UCLA talk, we got to give this Utah squad some credit. They've done a great job of getting to 3-0 and without Cam Rising. Nate Johnson looked really good this past week, getting it done through the air and on the ground, all while protecting the football. Now, Cam Rising may very well return to this game, but Whittingham is gearing up for Johnson to be the starter in practice this week. Unfortunately for Utah, the injury bug is starting to bite. They're also down starting center Johnny Maya and defensive end Connor O'Toole, amongst others. First and foremost, got to give UCLA, UCLA the respect we haven't been giving them. No one's talking about this team, and it's kind of surprising. A team from Los Angeles with a big-name head coach and an incredible running game. That's what they've been built on this season so far. Is not getting talked about, but here we are. To give some love to my boy Carson Steele. We touched on him briefly in the Pac-12 preview. The former Ball State alum, now a UCLA Bruin, uh, doing damage in the ground game. Uh, they got a little two and a monster going there too, but I love my boy Carson Steele. This game's going to be physical. This is a UCLA team that we are not accustomed to seeing. This is a team that they still don't care about time of possession. That hasn't changed. It's a Chip Kelly team. But they are physical at the line of scrimmage, run first, ease their talented freshman Dante Moore into these ball games, and win on the ground and with physicality on defense. Here's my concern with the Bruins. Can they do it as well as Utah does it? Because that is what Utah does. They play physical football, they dominate the line of scrimmage, and they make you feel them. Here's why I think Utah is going to win this game. It's going to come down to time of possession. The Utes have been phenomenal at holding on to the football. One turnover through three games so far. Sorry, one interception through three games so far. And they control time of possession. They have the ball for almost 35 minutes each game. For a UCLA team that's going to need to make a lot of explosive plays to beat this Utah team, that is going to be a challenge. And that is why I do not think UCLA can go into Salt Lake and pull off a subset. Not to mention it is in Salt Lake where Utah cannot lose. Yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I'm riding with this UCLA team in this one just because I think the injury bug has absolutely beaten Utah or been Utah. Cam Rising probably out. Like, as I said, they're preparing for Nate Johnson to be the starter in practice this week. I just think <sighs> Nate Johnson hasn't really faced a huge challenge yet. Like, we saw a little bit of him against Baylor, and then he dominated Weber State last week. But this UCLA team is good, man. Dante Moore is a guy we might be talking about in the Heisman conversation coming up here if he continues what he's doing. And you said you mentioned their two-headed monster at running back. They got a third guy back there now, and Anthony Adkins, who put up a 100-yard game and 6.6 yards of carry in his last game. So, I mean, they just have so many weapons going for them. And if the Utes aren't healthy, I think they could really get out to a slow start in this one. And, I mean, if UCLA can turn this into a track meet, give me the give me the Bruins. I don't think they will, just because of how physical even the backups of Utah are, but... I still really like UCLA in this one. I don't know. Yeah, well, I I could very well be wrong here, and I love the UCLA analysis there. I don't see a world where this game turns into a track meet simply because it's in Salt Lake and because of the physicality of both teams. UCLA is holding opponents to about two yards of rush right now, which is incredible. They're not going to do that against Utah. This is the most physical team they've played all year long. However, without Cam Rising – 
I do have serious concerns about Utah's ability to move the ball down the field, control the time of possession. They'll have the ball for probably at least 30 minutes, half the game. 35, that could be a question mark for me. Utah's key to the game is holding UCLA's explosiveness in check. UCLA is going to want to move the ball quick, get the ball on the ground quick. Again, they don't give a fuck about time of possession. They want to score and score fast. Utah needs to slow them down, slow the entire game down, make it physical, let Nate Johnson do his thing, and come away with a small, small victory. Four, it's, it's four and a half points right now on the spread. It's, it's, so, it's so sharp and so accurate, I don't want to touch it, but I'll get to our picks later. The over-under 53 is kind of mind-boggling to me, and uh, I'll touch on this later. 100%. And I think you mentioned the key being controlling time of possession for Utah. I think it's also protecting the football. If Nate Johnson turns this football over, it's not going to be good for them. They need to basically be running the Wildcat every play. Yeah, if Nate Johnson turns it over, it's it's game over. UCLA will win the football game. Three turnovers for Utah, and the Bruins come away with the victory. 100%. 100%. All right, jumping over to Ole Miss at Bama, taking a break from the Pac-12. This is the marquee matchup as Kiffin is pressing, prepping his squad to take on Bama. That, taking on a Bama team that's getting its lumps in the past week, Gav. Yeah, to say the least. We got Jalen Miller back at quarterback, and I like the rationale behind it. Nick Saban came out on Monday. He wasn't even going to let this linger all week long. Oh, who's going to start for Bama? He came out and said, Jalen's our guy, and here's why. We let all three guys go out there and show show what they're made of, and he played the best out of all of them. And that's true. Bookner looked abysmal. He was 5 of 14 for under 100. Simpson came out and he was fine. He was 5 of 9 for 73. But Miller gives them the running game that the other two guys don't. And on top of that, Nick Saban credited Milrow's leadership this week as another reason why he's starting. He said he was the first guy out there when Ty Simpson scored that QB sneak to put Bama ahead for good. He all week long was supportive of, of the other two. And I love to hear that because it does sound like Milrow's in this for the team and not for himself. As some former Bama players have been saying, it seems like a lot of Bama players now are playing for NIL and not for Bama. So I love Miller at quarterback. I don't love his talent there, but I love the decision-making behind it. So how does Bama win this game? Same as the Texas game, Jasper. They need to make this a physical game, win the trenches, get after Jackson Dart, make him feel the presence on defense, and on offense, get down and dirty in the trenches. Milrow was scrambling for his life against Texas. I need to see him be comfortable in the pocket, be able to make some reads, and get out of there if he needs to. His first read in that Texas game was getting the fuck out of the pocket and running for his life. He needs to stay in there, stay protected, make some good throws, open up the run game, and Bama will win. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, I think the biggest thing we talked about with Milrow and him being named the starter is we learned last week that it's not just the QB position with inconsistency. It's the O-line play, letting USF get after the quarterback. USF also had a ton of opportunities against this defense. Now, they didn't capitalize because they're a Sunbelt team, but Jackson Dart sure will. They have plenty of opportunities to get the ball downfield against this Alabama defense. This Ole Miss offense is explosive. They're going to be up. They're going to really try and bring it on the road in Tuscaloosa. They're still down Trey Harris, which hurts. But Dart has protected the football. If he cannot be careless in this Tuscaloosa dangerous environment, him and Judkins will have the opportunity to make some huge plays based off what I saw last week against South Florida. But most importantly, Gavin, for me with this Ole Miss team, it's the defense. We heard all offseason about how improved they are. It's time to show it. This game is going to be a battle of defensive minds. You got Pete Golding, the former Alabama coordinator for the Tide. He was hired to win this game by Ole Miss. 
This is what he is here to do, and he needs to do it. On the other side, you got Kevin Steele, who's coming out trying to show his squad still can live up to all their preseason and hype. It's going to be a defensive slugfest. We're going to see which defense can win out. Yeah, I just talked at length about how Bama wins this game offensively, but you're absolutely right. Let's talk about the defenses, particularly Ole Miss's. They need to get to Milrow and contain him. You just said it. That's the key to their game for sure. Uh, and then, you know, on the Bama flip side, you need to protect Milrow. On the Bama defensive side, you need to make sure that Quinshawn Judkins does not get going. Judkins has been contained through three games this year. He's yet to eclipse 100 yards. He's found the end zone in all three games, but he's only averaging about three yards a carry. It's been very, very not Quinshawn Judkins that we're used to seeing from last season. He's got to get going, and Bama needs to make sure he doesn't get going. Because if he does, guess what that does? It opens up the passing game. And here comes Jackson Dart. Here comes the Ole Miss passing attack that, like we said, holds on to the football, doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. And that's how Bama got burned against Texas. They lost the line of scrimmage, and that allowed Quinn Ewers and company to really air it the fuck out, and Bama couldn't contend. If that happens in this game, oh boy, we might be looking at a two-loss Bama team through four weeks for the first time in, I couldn't tell you how long. Yeah, so who are you leaning right now, Gav? I like Bama because I I do expect the offensive line to step up and protect Milrow. I do expect the defensive line to finally win in the trenches. And maybe that's just me dying on this Bama Hill because I simply cannot believe a Nick Saban team isn't the most physical team on the field 12 times out of 12 throughout the season. But that's the key to them winning this game. They need to make it physical. They need to protect their quarterback. They need to get after the opposing quarterback. If they don't do that, they will lose, but I am dying on this hill. They will do that. They will turn it around. I expect the rest of the season to be dictated by this game. 100%. I mean, this game decides Bama's season. I like Ole Miss to cover, Bama to win outright. I kind of like that. I'm staying away from the spread because uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of it. <laughs> but I'm not touching that minus seven at all or plus seven at all. I'm just saying if I had to pick how this game was going to go, Bama's going to win this game by three points. I like it. I like it. Just based on what we've seen from them so far, I would be inclined to agree. All right. Rounding out the Pac-12 slate for the weekend, we got the Beavers traveling to Pullman in a battle between the last two teams in the conference. Oregon State has looked great through three weeks. This offense has the perfect balance of DJ Youngalele and Damian Martinez through the air and on the ground. The offensive line is going to take it to this Wazoo D-line, which has also looked very good for three weeks. But... For me, this game is all about defense. Cam Warren, Lincoln, Victor are going to look to make explosive plays to the air. The Beaver defense has to come out physical and take this game. Jasper, I think this is my favorite game on the slate. And it's just not going to get talked about at all because it's Oregon State and Washington State. As you mentioned, the two teams they got left in the dust in the Pac-12. But these are two great football teams, especially this season. Oregon State, they bring probably the most balanced offensive attack not in the country, but certainly in the Pac-12 right now, if you had to ask me, Washington's an air raid, USC's an air raid. Oregon State and Damian, uh, Damian Martinez plus DJ Uyagalele, they're incredible. Then not to mention, they bring a defense in there that is giving up 11 points a game right now. And Oregon State is a team that, in the preview, we said their schedule's so easy, they might just sneak their way into the CFP, uh, at the very least, the, the Pac-12 championship. On the flip side... You got a Washington State team that we know what they're going to do. They're going to pass the fucking football. They're going to put up points, and they're going to hope their secondary can hold up enough 
to give their offense enough time to be explosive. This game is going to be fun. It is going to be close. And I believe it's going to turn to a shootout very, very, very quickly. I can see that happening, especially if this Oregon defense does not get after Cam Ward and he's able to get outside the pocket, make plays like he's used to. You know, both these teams are looking to make a statement, man. They want to show that they belong in this top 25, especially the Cougars. I still like the Beavers in this game, though. I think they're looking to make a bigger statement, and it starts the defensive side of the ball. They're going to make Cam Ward uncomfortable, and if he forces turnovers, they're going to run away with this one. Yeah, I don't I don't see him running away simply because Oregon State's defense is great. They only, they're only giving up 11 points a game, but they've got the 53rd-ranked passing defense in the country right now. Their passing defense, is it's, it's middle of the pack. And Cam Ward and company, they're going to pass the fucking football. So I do expect Washington State to be able to move the ball to a decent extent against this Oregon State team. However, I do agree Oregon State's offensive attack is simply going to be too much. Their run game is incredibly efficient with Damian Martinez and company. And let's give some props to DJ Uyagule. He is averaging 10 yards per pass through the air, which is by far the most in his career. Their downfield passing attack is something we have not seen the Beavers implement at all in the past couple of seasons. It's a very different look on offense this year. And I do believe this downfield passing attack is going to give the Cougars way too much trouble. And it's going to allow Oregon State to come out with the victory. I do believe it's going to be close, as I said, though, due to Washington State's passing attack, as well as this game being in Pullman. That crowd's going to be going wild. Yep, round now two things. Hashtag DJ was never the problem. And Vegas got this one exactly right with the minus two and a half. I mean, they could not pick a better line for this game. All right, jumping over to a game where they they picked a good line, but I hate it. It's uh, Iowa at Penn State. And here we go. Time to see what this Penn State team is made of as they welcome the Hawkeyes into Death Valley to open their Big Ten schedule. What are we seeing in this one, Gav? A Penn State blowout, and here's why. A lot of I, – I guarantee you, Jasper, a lot of sharp betters are going to be coming in on the Hawkeyes because every single power rating model that I've looked at has this game at around a 10- to 11-point spread – which is where it opened up. It opened up at 10 and a half. It's currently at 14 and a half. Iowa does not have the firepower to keep up with Penn State. They're without their tight end, Luke Lacey, their leading receiver. They're without starting running back, Caleb Johnson. And they are on the road in Happy Valley in a whiteout. This game screams Penn State. And to me, it's all about the nitty lines. This is the game where they cement themselves as serious threats to Michigan and Ohio State. Drew Aller has looked like potentially the best quarterback in the country through three weeks, except last week. He had a slow, a little bit of a hiccup against Illinois, didn't throw for any touchdowns. I don't think he could turn the ball over, though. I might be wrong on that. I need to come back and look at that. No turnovers, but no touchdowns either. A little bit, little bit of a hiccup. However, this Penn State defense is incredible, and it's going to be way too much for Iowa to overcome. They rank in the top 15 in every single metric you can think of, passing, running, total defense. The offense, for as good as they've looked to the eye, according to the metrics, they haven't been that phenomenal. They rank about 30th in total offense, about 40th in passing attack. Their running attack is actually better. It's top 20 in the country. But we know they're better than that. They are a phenomenal offense. They're well-rounded. This is where Penn State comes out, beats up on a on a injury-prone Iowa team, and really makes a statement. 
we're here not to contend only in the Big Ten, but to contend for a national championship. I'm right there with you, Gav. I mean, this this Penn State team is only scratching the surface of what their offense can become. We still haven't seen a Nick Singleton game yet. Like, we've seen him make some crazy plays and score some touchdowns, whatever, average big yardage. But we haven't seen the game where Nick Singleton has shown that he is one of the best running backs in the country. But this Iowa team might be the most cupcake top 25 team I've ever seen. <laughs> Iowa State sucks. They played two other bullshit teams in the Weber State and Utah State. If they want to win this game, it's going to have to be on the offensive side of the ball, and they simply can't do it. I mean, Cade McNamara does not scare me at all. This Hawkeyes defense is not as good as it's been in year past. I expect James Franklin to come out and take advantage of them early in this game. If they got to a slow start, they're not going to have – or they got, to, they got off to a slower start last week. They're really going to rebound in this one. And it starts with Allen and Singleton on the ground, as I said. Send the tone in the field. Send the tone in the ground game so they can open up the field for Aller in the air. Give me the Penn State and Indian Lions by like two or three scores. They might even win by 21. I agree. And I, I couldn't agree more about Penn State just scratching the surface with this offense. When they get fully into it, it's going to be terrifying for everybody they play. This Iowa defense, I will say, though, I disagree. They're very good. I think they're top 10 just about every metric. It's not going to be enough in this game, though. And I was reading up in this game, and everyone's talking about this improved Iowa offense. First of all, like we said, they're missing Lacey and they're missing Caleb Johnson. That's going to be a huge factor. And everyone's meat-riding Caden McNamara. He went 9 for 19 with two touchdowns and two picks against Western Michigan last week. Abysmal. That's horrible. What do you think he's going to do against this Penn State fucking defense that is top 20 in the country in every metric you look at? It's not going to be pretty. Their 25 points per game mark is going to take a big hit in this game. I can tell you that much. They're not going to score more than 14 points. Penn State by two to three scores, like you said. Drew Allard comes out and cements himself as the guy in Happy Valley. I hope Nick Singleton runs for 200, too. I'm waiting for that game. 100%. Ference is going to score maybe three points in this game. Yeah, maybe. We'll see about that. We'll see. We'll see. All right. Here we go, Gavin. We've been talking about this game all summer. We finally arrived. Buckeyes traveling to South Bend to take on the Irish in primetime. We're about to see what both these teams are about. The Buckeye offense started to get it going after a slow start against Indiana. Marvin Harrison has returned to form, with, uh, and McCord is starting to look a little better this week. But I think that stops here. This Notre Dame team knows they need a huge win to make the playoffs, and I think they're going to get it here. We are on the same side of this one, Jasper. Here we go. I am dying on this Irish hill. All right. People talking about this Ohio State team and how they've looked better on offense the past two weeks. They've played Youngstown State and Western Kentucky. I don't want to hear it. Do not want to hear it. Does Ohio State have more NFL talents than Notre Dame? Absolutely. They've got the best receiving room in the country. It's not even close. Marvin Harrison and uh, I can't even pronounce the, the, the other guy's name. E.E. or his initials. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that. He's good. That's all we need to know. But you look at the he's good. He's good. You look at the QB department, oh, Kyle McCord is playing better. Shut the fuck up. Notre Dame has the clear edge here. Fifth-year veteran Sam Hartman playing like he wants that Heisman, playing like he wants that Natty. The running game's a wash. I don't want to hear about Trayvon Henderson. He's just getting back into form. Audric Estime has been proving to me for four weeks. He's already in form. Notre Dame has looked great for four weeks. The defense has looked great for four weeks. Every single position battle, aside from wide receiver, I give Notre Dame the edge. Irish, plus three and a half. Well, I got a map. They're at three now. But fuck that. They're winning this game. I'm dying on that hill. 
Let's fucking go, Notre Dame. I'm dying right there with you because this Ohio State defense has not looked great either. Granted, like, they're blowing teams out, but that's because you have Marvin Harrison running down the field every play. This They struggled against Youngtown State to open the game. They're not going to have that luxury in this one. You mentioned it. Estimate Hartman. This is their game to make it work. They've had this one circle on their calendar for a while, and they've already been tested defensively by an NC State Wolfpack squad. They can handle this Ohio defense, and they are going to do so in front of the entire nation. This Ohio State team just doesn't have the juice of years past. If they get off to a slow start offensively, this game will not end well. I like Notre Dame to handle business and get a huge win as they continue to boost their playoff resume. I couldn't agree more, and – Every article I was reading about this game was talking about Ohio State's talent on both sides of the football, holding teams to only six points a game so far. And my exact reaction is what you just said. They've played nobody, and they've gotten off to slow starts in every single game. They're not going to have that luxury. And guess what? Every other article I've read talking about, oh, the offense is finally coming into form. It better be in form by the time kickoff happens because Notre Dame's in form. And if it ain't in form, this game is going to get ugly quick. It's not going to get ugly quick. I take that back. But Notre Dame will come out strong and make Ohio State play from behind, which is a place I do not think Kyle McCord is ready to play from. Give me the Irish in this one. The more seasoned team, the team that's looked better so far, and the team that has the clear QB edge, don't give me this Kyle McCord bullshit. Sam Hartman is making his Heisman case this weekend. No one gives a shit about Kyle McCord, man. Fuck this guy. Give me Sam Hartman all day. And let's that that's the perfect way to wrap this up. Just fuck Kyle McCord. Let's jump into picks, Gavin. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you first since I feel like you have a pretty good read on the board this weekend. I, I feel like I, I have a great read on this board. Um I have a play of the week, and that's gonna be my second pick. My first pick, I'm not done talking about Notre Dame. I got him a plus three and a half earlier this week. They're already down to three. I expect it to be two and a half a kickoff. My play, though, is three and a half because that's where I got it at. Notre Dame plus three and a half. If they lose, it ain't going to be my more than the field goal. Lock it in. I'm going to stay right there with you. I have Notre Dame money line to open the slate. I just think, I mean, if you're going to take three and a half, you might as well take the money line. They're going to win this game at home. It's going to be handed. Let's go. Let's go. Second pick. This is my play of the week. I simply don't understand why Vegas keeps pricing Utah totals anywhere near 50. I already got it at 53, UCLA, Utah, under 53, for all the reasons we mentioned during our game analysis. Utah is going to look to control the time of possession, and if they don't do that, that means they're not moving the ball down the field, which means they're not scoring. And if they do do that, that means UCLA is not scoring. Either way, one of these teams is going to be held to a very low total. More likely, both teams will be held to a very low total, It'll be a physical, grueling game, and it won't come anywhere near 53 points. UCLA, Utah, under 53, play of the week. I like it. I'm sticking right there with you because I have UCLA at plus four and a half. You mentioned this game is going to be low total. That means a close score. I like Utah. This game's going to be decided by a field goal at best, unless UCLA gets explosive, and then they'll easily cover that four and a half. But, yeah, no points being scored in this one. There's no way Utah wins by a touchdown. Give me UCLA plus four and a half. I like it for my third and final pick. And this one take with a grain of salt because I am just so, so wishy-washy on it, but Oregon state minus two and a half for reasons we talked about during our analysis. 
I think their downfield passing attack becomes too much for this Washington State team to handle. If I could take the money line, I would, but I'm not going to take the juice at minus 150. That doesn't make any sense to me. I was between this game and Clemson plus two and a half. And ultimately, Jasper, it came down to who do I trust more, DJ Uyazile or Kate Klubnik. And I'm riding with DJ. Beavers minus two and a half to go into Pullman and continue their perfect season. I like it a lot. Um, I'm going to get crazy with my last pick here. And Gav, you got you might have to stop me, but Rutgers plus 24 versus Michigan. Oh, shit. Greg Schiano's building something in New Jersey, man. And it started, <laughs> it's looked pretty good through the first three weeks. 3-0 and Rutgers team walks into Michigan. And J.J. McCarthy is just not as impressive as I thought he was. Three picks last week against the week. I forget who they played, but... Either way, this Michigan squad is kind of limping out of the gates. They're without Harbaugh again. Now, I think they're going to dominate once Harbaugh gets back. But look for Shiano to make this one a little closer than 24 points. I think Michigan can win this game by 14, nothing higher. You don't want to roll with Rutgers Moneyline? Have you been seeing those TikToks at all? I have not. Oh, dude, look it up. It's so good. And there's, there's a guy who's been talking about Rutgers Moneyline. But anyhow, uh, yeah, Michigan hasn't looked all that impressive. Uh, this is Harbaugh's first game back from his uh from his from his suspension, right? Is it? I think doesn't he have? Isn't he suspended four games by the NCAA? Because I know he has three from Michigan, but it might be four from. Or okay. I, uh, I might be tripping. Either way, because I, I remember we were talking about that Jeff Sims Heisman game when he comes back against Nebraska. Yeah, <laughs> that was a horrible uh, take on our part. Mostly joking. <laughs> still a horrible take. I was just hoping Jeff Sims would be the truth, but he's he just he loves throwing the ball to the defense. Unfortunately, oh, so. it sucks. I love our picks. Love our picks. Think we're gonna have a very good weekend. Uh, and if I didn't stress it enough already, UCLA Utah for the bank account. I Vegas will catch on very quickly that without Cam Rising, Utah's not coming anywhere close to fifty points in their games. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. It's all about ground and pound for them. All right, wrapping up the college slate. It's going to be exciting. We got to get into this NFL slate, though. Heading over to the pros. And we got a down week in the NFL, Gav, which probably means we're going to get a surprise or two here. And that starts with Thursday night where the Giants travel to the opposite coast to face the Niners under the lights. Yeah, and this game is all about the Niners just not succumbing to the short week bugaboo, so to speak. This is the Saquon Barkley list Giants team. Uh, he is obviously injured out a couple of weeks with a uh, was it an, an ankle sprain, something yeah. like that. Yes. So yeah, I mean there's 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 a clear better team here. Um, I don't think anyone's taking the Giants to win this game, but you know what? I, 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 I'm not gonna take the Giants obviously, but I'm gonna talk about the 49ers and how good they've looked so far. The Rams came out last week and gave them a little bit of trouble. And I'm going to credit the Rams because what they're doing through the first two weeks, nobody could have ever expected. But Brock Purdy stayed strong, man. This guy just continues to impress. Brock, I'm sorry. I was so low on you coming into the season, and I was so wrong. You're 7-0 as a starter in the regular season, proving all the doubters wrong. Staying poised, staying calm, cool, collected, getting the ball to your playmakers, not turning the ball over, looking like a number one overall pick, not the last pick in the draft. So give me the Niners in this one. Not much else to say. I don't expect this to be close, but I'm not touching a a double-digit spread. Just 49ers come out playing strong and don't, don't play down to the Giants in this game. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's no way Danny Dimes is mounting a 21-point comeback on this Niners defense. No Saquon, you mentioned, for the G-Men really hurts. And I got to apologize to Brock Purdy, too. I mean, man, this is just the Respect Brock Purdy podcast at this point. We are so sorry, man. Um, I have in my notes here, did someone say trap game and then right under it, not going to happen because it's not. I mean, I'm right there with you. I don't want to touch this minus 10, but I will leave the door open for the Giants to maybe make it a close game at some point. But either way, the Niners team is just too good. They're going to win this game handedly. Do not touch this spread at all. I hate this minus 10. I mean, this could either be a Niners destruction or the Giants make it a defensive ball game and the Niners win. But either way, it's the Niners game. I mean, there's no way the Giants win this game. To our to our betters out there, if you want some action, just throw five bucks in a Kyle Juszczyk first touchdown score and then watch demolition after that. Yeah, just enjoy some football. I mean, it's going to end eventually. <laughs> this is one of those games where it's like, just soak it all in. All right, jumping over to the Falcons taking on the Lions. Is Atlanta the best team in the NFC South, Gavin? I'm not ready to make that statement quite yet. And here's why. Week one, they got a Bryce Young Panthers team. I shouldn't even say Bryce Young Panthers team. A Panthers team, they, if you watched that Monday night game against New Orleans, Bryce Young looked bad, but it wasn't his fault. All right, The Panthers defense looked phenomenal against that Saints attack. But Bryce Young, who is he throwing to? I mean, nobody was getting open. So for that reason, I'm chalking up that week one as the Falcons taking care of business. And in week two, you know what? I'll give the Falcons their flowers. They handled business at home against a very, very good Green Bay Packers team. Desmond Ritter looked great coming down the stretch, controlling the game, controlling the clock. Here's why I'm not ready to say they're the best team in the NFC South. Did you know, Jasper, that the Falcons have not had three receivers catch the football? Only Drake London and Mac Hollins have caught passes as wide receivers for this Falcons team. They have not had a wide receiver three catch one single pass this season. How insane is that? Of course, Kyle Pitts and John Smith have gotten involved, but two receivers only catching passes through two weeks? That was mind-blowing for me to find out. If they're going to try to win games like that going forward, it's not going to work out well. But... Hey, they look good other than that. Drake London and Matt Collins have looked good. Desmond Ritter's looked good. And Bijan Robinson has looked like potentially the most explosive playmaker in the league, maybe aside from Tyreek Hill, but no one can tackle this guy. He gets the ball in his hands, and he is just juking left and right. They look good, but they go into a lion's den this week, which is looking for redemption after my Hawks came into town last week and handled business there. This game's all about which version of the Lions are we going to get. And last week, we took care of their secondary. This week, they get a Falcons team, which, as I just mentioned, probably won't attack the secondary all that well. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And then uh, before we get into the Lions in this sit, do you know who their other three receivers are behind Matt Collins and Drake London? I couldn't tell you. Scotty Miller, Josh Alley. And Kadiro Hodge. So I'm kind of okay with them only throw to those two guys. They have <laughs> nobody else in this death chart. But you're right. I mean, hey, this Packers team is young. They're going to stumble from time to time. The defense has played really well for the Falcons thus far, but, I mean, they haven't really been tested. They're going to get tested this week against this Lions team. I like the Lions to bounce back in this one. As you said, this game is set up for them to come out and play well on offense, even if Montgomery doesn't play. I know they have concerns with the secondary, but you hit the point right there. 
Desmond Ritter is a huge step down from Mahomes and Gino. This feels like a get right game to the line to get back on track. Who knows this Atlanta team? They hung around with the Packers late in the game, but the Lions got to put them away early to win this one. Yeah, like that analysis a lot. Uh, it, it, it comes down to the Lions' weakness, which is their secondary. It's not going to get exposed this game. And the Falcons' defense, while it's decent, it's not going to be able to slow down the golf fence. Uh, shout out my boy Zeke for giving me that, that phrase. I love it. I'm not going to stop using it all season. But uh, Detroit will come out. They will score some points. And this spread keeps moving towards Atlanta. And if it gets down below three, my God, am I going to hammer Detroit? Oh, yeah, you have to. All right, jumping over the team that the Atlanta Falcons vanquished last week. I don't know why he's vanquished there. I guess just big I like that. I like that a lot. It really feels like the Saints are in for a rude awakening in Green Bay, Gavin. Yeah, the Saints have, uh, let's just say they've been lucky, to say the least. They've scored, what, three offensive touchdowns and – it looks like they, they should have been scoring zero. They put up 16 points against potentially a bottom five secondary in the league. I'm talking about Tennessee, of course. Then they come back on the road against Carolina, and they score 20. The offense didn't score 20. Bryce Young and company scored 20 for them, turning the ball over and just not moving the ball down the field. Green Bay's defense is phenomenal. The Saints have to go into Lambeau. This one could get ugly quick. The only the only savior the Saints have is their defense looks great so far this season, but I'm buying more Jordan Love and company stock than I am buying Saints defense stock. Give me the Packers by a touchdown in this one. Jordan Love's home debut. Go Pack Go. I love the storylines you brought up. I mean, for me, Derek Carter's squad, they've just skated by these past couple games, man. This offense is not looking convincing. You mentioned the defense. They look very good. But I think, Derek, I mean, you can't prove Josh McDaniels right, man. You can't prove <laughs> Josh McDaniels right. You need to convert in the red zone. You need to get that out of frame throw to all to Olave bumping, and you need to convert when it matters. This Packers defense, man, there's – I mean, for the Packers last week, there's no real way to cut it. I mentioned it when we were talking about the Falcons. They're a young team. They're incredibly talented, but they're also inexperienced. This is going to happen throughout the year. When that happens, you're going to lose a lot of games. You just, lot of lose, you just lose focus at points. Now – you mentioned it. Jordan Love's home debut. They got to get it going at home. He's got to put on a show. No Aaron Jones, who still hasn't been able to practice this week. That hurts him. Christian Watson's still limited. This team's a little banged up. I like the Packers at home, but if they don't finish this game and they leave the door open like they did last week, I would not be surprised if Derek Carr and the Saints get another single-digit win. I find that hard to believe in Lambeau. That's just so hard to go in there. And the Packers defense is legit. And the Saints have proven they can't do the football at all. Um, but even without Jones and Watson, I love what I've seen out of the screen by offense and especially Jordan Love. He's taken such good care of the football, which was the key to the season for, for me, for this team coming in. And when he gets those two playmakers back, look out NFC North because they might just run away with it. Hey, man, as long as Jordan Love is putting up 153 yards and three touchdowns, this Green Bay team is going to be just fine. They just got to fit in. As I said, like they had that game last week and their youth showed. I I mean, this is just a veteran squad in the Saints. I I like the Packers to win this game, as I said. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints find themselves in it if they can't finish. Don't hate that. Don't hate that. I got the Pack by a lot, but I think you're right. I like it too. All right, revisiting our friends from Monday night's debacle in the Steelers, and they travel to Vegas to take on the Raiders in their home opener. Now, this game is interesting because the Raiders are favored for the first time this year as two and a half points favorites in this matchup. 
And I'm as confused as everyone else is why Vegas is back in Vegas. This offense has looked one-dimensional. This defense has struggled at times. But I think there's a gap. There's an answer here, Gav. And I've been workshopping it for the past 24 hours. So hear me out. And it starts with the Steelers. Congrats. Y'all won at home, but you still are not good. Kenny Pickett is still inconsistent. Najee Harris, and it pains me to say it, has looked incredibly slow thus far. Defense is good, not gate, not great. This Steelers team screams 8-8 eight and eight to me, man. I don't see anything special on this squad. Jumping over to the Raiders. Now, I mentioned this offense being one-dimensional, and that's because Josh Jacobs has been a non-factor the past two weeks. I think that Vegas, as well as myself, see this Steelers matchup as a chance for Josh to break out and return to form. The Steelers allowed 198 rushing yards in Monday night's contest versus the Browns. The Raiders need to get Jacobs back to form so they don't have to rely on Jimmy throwing the ball all the time. I think they can win this game, but it comes down to Josh Jacobs. If I'm Vegas, it's a way safer bet to take the NFL's leading rusher to have a breakout than a dude wearing two gloves to throw a football. Oh, man. Until Kenny starts throwing two picks every game, I'm still dying on the hill that he's decent. Good, not great. Good, not great. That was a great way to put it. Um, Also, Vegas seems to think that uh, the Raiders are – getting better throughout the week because I'm staring at DraftKings right now and the line is now at three. So it keeps going up, which is crazy to me. I hate this. <laughs> um, for me, uh, I like the Steelers to keep improving on defense. Like you said, they've looked okay. Uh, I was much higher on them coming into the season. And I mean, uh, until they fall to like two and four, I'm going to keep riding them. What the reason that everyone loved Kenny last season is he just took care of the football one pick over his final eight games and he only played in 13. So through his first five games, I think he had about seven interceptions. It looked abysmal second half of the season. He was a lot better. He needs to take care of the football. And here's what I want to see the Steelers do bench Najee Harris. Cause you're absolutely right. He looks like he's running with two left feet out there. I mean, my God, he looks slow. Get Jalen Warren in there. He looks explosive every time he catches the football because they've been using him a lot in the passing game. He makes some plays happen, and I love seeing it. Penny needs to take care of the football. The defense needs to keep improving, keep getting after the quarterback, but they can't rely on two defensive touchdowns week in and week out to win football games. I my my read on the Steelers has definitely gotten softer through the first two weeks, but I'm still dying on that hill, so to speak. I think this Sunday night football game might be – it's not going to be the worst we've seen so far because obviously there was a 40 to nothing blowout at MetLife in week one. But it's going to be ugly. I honestly hate that we have to talk about it, but uh, we'll see. Honestly, I hope the Raiders win so I can just stop talking about the Steelers because until the Steelers start to lose a bunch, I will keep talking about them. So go go Vegas this weekend. Dude, what are you talking about? This game is going to be so much fun. Every time the Raiders <laughs> prime time, especially against the Steelers, something crazy happens. I mean, it's Vegas. Weird shit goes on when the Raiders play in prime time. It's going to be, I mean, we don't have Derek Carr anymore, so we're not going to have any super crazy shit go down. But, dude, Jimmy G is, I like. I kind of like it because he's as unpredictable as Derek Carr. One day he's throwing great passes to Jacoby Myers. The next he's throwing two interceptions, and the Bills look like the Super Bowl team we thought they were, or I thought they were. But... <laughs> Who knows, man? I mean, this game's just going to be fun. As a Raiders fan, this is kind of a lost year for me, so I'm just taking whatever comes my way. That Denver game was fun. Like, I didn't expect us to win. We got out of there with a one-point win. Yeah, man, I mean, I don't know. My team is in shambles. It's just it's just fun to watch them be in shambles. So, 
The I like that. I win this game. <laughs> That's so good. But I'm still around with the Raiders. Uh, jumping over to Monday night, and we're only breaking down one of these games. Who knows what the other game has in store for us? Maybe we'll be talking about it come Monday or come Tuesday. But, man, this Bengals team gets another chance to right the ship and get a win. Unfortunately, they got to do it against this Rams team, Gavin. They just gave the Niners a run for their money. Joe Burrow is currently day-to-day. We're still unsure if he's going to be able to take the field Monday night. But if Joe can get it, can get healthy, Jesus Christ, you need to get it going, man. Thankfully, the Browns and Steelers have bought you some time because they've both been playing terrible. But every week, you and the Bengals sit back and hope the game comes to you. You're going to lose. Baltimore is no joke. They're ready to make a statement in this division. You need to get healthy. You need to get it together. Or else, man, this season is going to slip away from this Bengals team quick. Yeah, if they fall to 0-3... Uh, I think only one team in the past decade has made the playoffs after falling to 0-3 to start the season. It's looking grim for this Bengals squad. And <clears throat> you're absolutely right. If Burrow can play, to me, it's about finishing on the opponent's side of the field. Because watching that Ravens game, they had no problem getting the ball to the 50-yard line, even the 40. It was when they got there, the offense seemed to stall. And this is a Rams defense that we both expected to be probably bottom 10 in the league coming into the season. And they proved us wrong. Sure, they gave up 30 to the Niners, but everyone's going to give up 30 to the Niners. Like, I, I'm not putting any stock in that. They held my Seahawks to 17 in Seattle week one. I loved that. This line opened at seven and a half two weeks ago. And it's already down to two and a half. And if Burrow doesn't play, it might get close to fucking dead even. This game has two storylines going. It's the Bengals and whether or not we're ready to hit the panic button. I think I already hit it. But this game will make me smash it if the Bengals come out and don't show me something. And on the flip side, if the Rams come out and they're able to put up points and play some decent defense, is it time to start talking about L.A. as a serious playoff threat? I mean, that would get them to 2-1 and one in the season. Even if they don't get to 2-1, and one, getting to 1-2 and two against Seahawks, Niners, Bengals to start your season, I take that as an absolute W if I'm Los Angeles. But yeah, you're right. The bigger storyline is Bengals offense. We need to get points on the board. We need to convert in the red zone. And we need to stop turning the fucking football over. See, I think we're in exact opposites right now because I'm not hitting the panic button on the Bengals yet, but I am buying the Rams as a playoff contender. Be ready for a shootout in this one if Joey B plays. But if the Bengals march out there and with Will Greer, it's going to be a blowout in the Rams' favor. Yeah, I'm, it's it's going to be a weird one for sure. I think the other Monday night game, which we didn't touch on, could be a weird one, too, with the Eagles going to Tampa. Uh, it seems like two two teams we expected to be Super Bowl contenders could get tested this Monday against two teams we expected to be bottom feeders. And I am, I, I am skeptically optimistic that both these games will be very good, but also very hard to watch. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm, I'm more buying the Eagles now when I think this is a game where they come out and they write the ship, but... Absolutely. Monday's going to be a weird night for sure. All right. Jumping over to picks here. And Gav, I'll let you start off because I can't stop coughing right now. Holy shit. <laughs> Dude, something's going around this UW-Madison campus that ugh, it's, it's it's hitting all of us because I know last pod I was feeling it too. My first pick, uh, I'm staying away from the spread because Moneyline is currently priced at minus 125, which for me doesn't cross the minus 130 threshold. So I'm okay eating a little bit of juice. And that is Packers money line. 
The spread's currently minus two. If this ends up being a one-point game, obviously you're going to be pretty upset if you have the spread there at minus 110 versus the money line at minus 125. So I'm going to ask the viewers to eat a little bit of juice, take the minus 125, the safer play with the money line. Green Bay does win this game, but it does have the potential to be very close. I like it. I like it. All right. I'm starting with my first pick, and it's getting weird, man. I told you I have some weird picks this week. Patriots-Jets over 37 points. Hmm. I expect there to be some points scored. I mean, Garrett Wilson looks good for a touchdown a game, and I think Mac Jones and them can easily get to 17, if not 20 points. Uh, the Jets, it's going to be tough for them, but they're going to get there. I think so. Yeah, don't hate it. Don't love it. Uh, simply because both of these offenses struggle to move the football a little bit. Uh, and they both have stellar defenses, in my opinion. But with that being said, I can see this game very well turning into a turnover battle. And turnovers, as we know, result in points. 37 is a very low number. Uh, if I'm reading this right, it's the lowest number on the slate this week. Yes, it is. Uh, so I don't want to hit it one bit. I am going to stay in the ballpark of low numbers, the second lowest number on the slate, but I'm going to take the opposite. I'm going to take the under, and I'm talking about Tennessee at Cleveland. The number I'm seeing right now is 39 and a half. Uh, Vegas, for some reason, thinks that the Kareem Hunt signing is going to play a huge factor in this game. It's not, because when they signed him, before they signed him, this line was three. 30 minutes after they signed him, it jumps to three and a half in favor of the Cleveland Browns. Before they signed him, the total was 39. After they signed him, the total jumped to 40. I snagged it at 40, so that's my number. It's currently 39 and a half. But my play is Browns Titans under 40. And similar to my under in college football, this is my play of the week. The Browns with no Nick Chubb are going to struggle to move the football. They struggled to move the football with Nick Chubb. What do we think they're going to look like without him? Deshaun Watson looks like a CFL quarterback. We know the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill are a one-dimensional offense. And we know how good that Cleveland front seven is. So I expect this game to be a battle of the punts a battle of the picks, a battle of the turnovers, uh, and ultimately come out with under 40 points. I like it a lot. I'm sticking with Tennessee, and I'm just going Titans' money line. I mean, I think they're going to come out and beat this Browns team, advance a 2-1 on the year. Don't hate that at all. Uh, I think the 3.5 you got right now is actually a, a better number than that because you got the hook there. Uh, I think that's a great play, to, great play to expose. For my third and final pick, I was torn here. My my eyes immediately darted to that Chargers-Vikings game. And I wanted to back Minnesota simply because I love fading Brandon Staley. However, I couldn't get myself to back Kirk Cousins in that abysmal offense. Then my eyes darted to the Atlanta-Detroit game. And I thought to myself, I do believe Detroit wins this game by three points, but I would rather have it at two and a half. So I'm going to make a bold play here. And by bold, I mean I don't ever, ever, ever recommend betting on your own team's games. But give me Seattle minus six. It is going to be very, very difficult for Bryce Young and company to go into Lumen Field and play against a Seattle defense that gets Jamal Adams back this week and keep up with a Seattle offense that looked very good against Detroit last week. We got home field. We got our team fully healthy and ready to go. I like the Hawks by a touchdown. Give me them minus six. 
I like that a lot, man. I mean, there's no emotion in gambling, but when you have the edge, you have the edge. All right, final pick, and this is where it gets shifty for me. Broncos plus six and a half versus Miami. The Broncos have lost every game by single digits to start this year. Miami's defense almost let the Patriots back in. Russell Wilson looks like a, a different player in this this season. I like the Broncos to make this one close, and we'll see what happens. But I like I like my board. I had to get shifty with it. It's a little weird, but that's gambling. I certainly like the um, the experimentation, for lack of better words. I, I do like the Broncos to keep that game close because of their talent on defense. They're going to stick PS2 on Tyreek, obviously. And this Miami defense, they looked better last week. But as we saw in week one against a team that has the potential to move the ball a little bit better, they're going to struggle. And a full six points plus the hook is, is a lot, especially in the NFL. So I like the shiftiness. I think we have the potential to do very well. Uh, I do think though we're gonna nail that college board. So for the viewers at home, stick those college picks if you want. If you want to stay safer, I like it. I like it. All right. Well, that wraps up our show. We will see you all on Tuesday to break down how this crazy weekend went. I'm excited, Gavin. Gonna be wild.